This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thanks so much for joining us again. When we talk about the radical sexual insanity in our culture, we often cite Romans chapter one, which details what happens when God gives man over to a depraved mind. But Romans 12 is also important to cite when discussing this issue because the first two verses, in fact, have to do with thinking properly about truth. And verse two says, for example, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And this is the same God who told us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But when a culture has eschewed reality and has stopped thinking properly, that has all sorts of dark implications. And we're seeing them play out right before our very eyes. We're going to talk about this today with Dr. Anthony Esselin. He is professor of literature and writer in residence at Magdalen College of the Liberal Arts in New Hampshire and is out with a really great book. It's called Sex and the Unreal City, The Demolition of the Western Mind. Dr. Esselin, thank you so much. So much for joining us. Thank you, Janet, for having me. Well, we are dwelling, as you say, in Unreal City, and I like I like this designation. How do you define Unreal City? Uh, well, as I say in the book, uh, uh, a man does not always have a firm grasp upon reality. I mean, we're fallen creatures, and in the best of times, um, we're going to fall prey to lies and delusions. Uh, fantasies and so forth, but uh, but in our time, I think uh, it's it, there's a different character to it. Um, y- you might in old times be fooled about what was real, but you never doubted that there was such a thing as reality. Right. Uh, and about ordinary things, um, you could not be fooled. Right. I mean, uh, the, the ordinary things that any child knows that there are boys and there are girls, there are men and women. Right. Um, now we uh, we have we have thought ourselves into a stupidity that uh, previous ages could never have conceived because right. it's 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 not just removed from the fullness of reality it it denies reality at the very root and um, much of our much of our unreality has to do with these particular issues uh, regarding sex and marriage and and uh, raising of children, and um, that it it boggles the mind. I mean, you almost can't keep up with it. It's like a it's it's like a chaos that that keeps falling apart under your feet. You think you've reached some low level, and all at once the floor cracks beneath you, and you fall ever further. Exactly. I know it's very hard to keep up with it, and just when you. Th- thought that you'd hit peak insanity, somebody goes a step further, and then you wonder how far do the goalposts eventually move before you can't even have language to describe it. I mean, I feel like we're almost in those waters already. Yeah, yeah, I think we are. You almost can't even ask people what the principle is 
hmm. um, that, uh, upon which they base their view of the world because they 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 really don't have any. It's 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 all passions, and um, since there there is no principle, I mean, then, you know, the, there's no bedrock to reach. Um, it's 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 just just a further and further chaos. Um, these the, what we have here are people who deny the very existence of principles. Yes, and um, oh, there we go. I mean, the, the, what what limit is there? Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, if God exists, because this is what you say in your book, if God exists, then the city that doesn't know God can hardly be expected to know itself. Would you say this is really the essence of the problem? This is how these minds got unmoored from reality because they've moved further and further away from the concept of God. Yeah, well, um, I think so. And I I can quote Chesterton for for suggesting this to us, right? That um, the problem with the problem with modern man is not that he has ceased to believe in God. Uh, having ceased to believe in God, he ends up being an easy mark for any confidence man that comes along. True. He ends up believing in anything. Right. Um, I mean, look at, the, look at the crazy things that people now try to found their lives upon, right? Um, you're your uh, sexual inclinations that come and go, uh, crystals that supposedly have magic powers, uh, uh, politics, which is um, in our time especially eminently the realm of the unreal, um, sloganeering and so forth. I mean, th- think of the stupidities that people believed um, that that uh, that that Soviet socialism bring happiness and plenty yeah. to hundreds of millions of people, even while people were starving in the Ukraine under Stalin's thumb. Right. I mean, uh, the, 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 the insanities that people have believed in the 20th century make um, the most superstitious peasant of the Middle Ages look like Einstein. You're right. You're so right about that. I mean, you mentioned socialism, for example. I've had the experience, I can literally show somebody information about what happened in the Ukraine, you know, the Great Famine and Stalin, or anything about Lenin or any other communist country, Mao, you know, anything you go to in history about communism. It's as if they can't even read it, take it into account, think it over, and then say, well, maybe there's some room for discussion here. The, the true believer in the unreal city, it seems, just has a passion, like you said. Well, that that's what's fair. That's what's equal. I'm going to have my paradise. Well, how in the world can you hold to a paradise when you look at what the paradise and its philosophy behind it actually yielded in human history? It doesn't make any sense. No, uh, it doesn't. And, and these people... I, I have this argument with people all of the time. They say, "Well, you know, why do you, why do you claim what you do um, about the, the impossibility of this or that social system, which is usually fantasy, uh, the possibility that will work?" I say, "Human nature is not like that, right?" Mm-hmm. Now there are there are a couple of ways to learn about human nature. One is through uh, hard experience. That is. Um, you're out among human beings all the time, getting something difficult or dangerous done. Like, for instance, a uh, hundred years ago, you're out with a bunch of guys trying to clear a field. Um, 
chop down the trees and get the stumps out of the ground. It might take you weeks to clear out a field. Um, with animals, too, oxen to pull the stumps out, like chains, right? You, you learn about what people can do together, what can be accomplished, how to get people to work together. It either comes to you from there or it comes to you from an encounter with great works of literature mm-hmm. that are about mankind. But people in our day, they don't have either either, either avenue. That's true. They're not reading mm-hmm. uh, the great old books, and they don't um, work in the dockyards or out in the fields or on a ship. Um, they don't have those experiences, so they're 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 easy game, easy game for the confidence men of ideology well, that's and a, for fantasy. That is a really good observation, and that's long bugged me that we have increasingly a populace that doesn't read. But again, this goes back to what you discuss, having to do with the you know the demolishing of the Western mind and the collapse of college education. I mean, how much of the blame for this can be laid at the feet of academia? Oh, quite a lot, quite a lot. Um, I'm not the first person to say that uh, there are some ideas that are so stupid, only intellectuals can believe them. <laughs> um, certainly a farmer could never believe them. And a farmer is, a farmer would be bound by the severe and unforgiving realities of nature round about him all the time. The farmer can't theorize that 400-pound boulder to move he knows that you can only move it if you apply 400 pounds of force and more um, to get rid of its friction from the ground and all that. I mean, he, he knows these things, even if he can't express them mathematically. Um, uh, but, but, but intellectuals who, who, who don't read the great old books and who don't have the kind of personality-forming uh, experiences that college students of old might have had that they've actually fought in a war for instance yep we're going to come right back take a brief break dr anthony eslin sex and the unreal city is his book will come back right after this on janet mefford today With everything going on in our world today, life can seem pretty dismal. We have a pandemic, riots, racial tension, and you might be asking, how can I make any difference? Well, here's one way you can make a huge difference in someone's life, through the ministry of Preborn. Preborn is dedicated to saving babies' lives from abortion through offering free ultrasounds to pregnant women in crisis. And when women in crisis pregnancies see their babies on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, eight out of 10 times, they'll choose life for their children. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the USA, and preborn centers are often situated in the highest risk abortion hotspots, competing with Planned Parenthood for babies' lives. The mainstream media doesn't want you to know that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, had a racist legacy stemming from her well documented connections with the eugenics movement. If you want to help make a difference in the midst of chaos, please support preborn. One ultrasound is just $28, and five ultrasounds are $140, saving five babies' lives. 100% of your donation goes to save babies' lives. Please call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Here's one mom talking about what preborn has meant to her. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry, and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. Uh, she's been such a joy. Uh, I now see my daughter, and I cannot imagine my life without 
joyful, smart baby. Would you please join with Janet Meffer today and Preborn in the Cause for Life? When you donate, you'll get a picture of an ultrasound along with stories of other babies' lives who you helped to save. And right now, through a matching grant, your donation of $7,500 will place a machine in a needy woman's center. These life-saving machines cost $15,000, more than most centers can afford. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Once again, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you and great to have with us Dr. Anthony Esselin. He's professor of literature and writer-in-residence at Magdalen College of the Liberal Arts in New Hampshire and is out with a great book called Sex in the Unreal City, The Demolition of the Western Mind. Dr. Esselin, we were talking about this before we ran to the break and you were lamenting the fact that we've got this chaos in academia and the fact that you don't have the upcoming generations reading these great books that we all, I mean, I remember having to read all of them growing up and I'm not that old, but you know, it's not the same in education anymore, even when you go into the younger grades. Who do you think that people ought to be reading when they're going to school? Some of these greats, you know, you think of Shakespeare and Milton and Dante, of course, all of these greats. But are there any others you think really ought to be mandatory for kids to read? Well, all of the works of Charles Dickens, right? Yes. Um, We had for a long time fiction that could be read by children without any embarrassment um, and that told truths about human beings, right? Mm -hmm. So there's Dickens. Dickens is is tremendous, maybe the greatest novelist who ever lived. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't have to be that old to start reading Dickens. You don't. Uh, Or uh, uh, on a a lighter side, Robert Louis Stevenson, or uh, more serious than Stevenson, but also, you know, aimed for... For, for young people is Rudyard Kipling. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Jane Austen, right? Once the kids get a little bit older, get interested in, in love and marriage. Uh, before novels got pornographic, <laughs> um, you've got, you know, a couple hundred years of them. And you also have the great poetry of our heritage. And I've been trying to tell people, poetry is dynamite for, for forming the imagination. You don't have to read 600 pages. Yes. Um, there are poems that you can read in five minutes and maybe maybe remember them, commit them to memory. Uh, poems of Robert Frost. Mm-hmm. They're quintessentially American. Um, uh, basically, all of, uh, all of literature that wasn't committedly anti-Christian or that didn't become uh, uh, pornographic or obscene or, uh, uh, you know, in other ways, destructive. Uh, all of this could be put before before young kids. John Sr. came up with a list called the, the Thousand Good Books in various categories and separated for um, appropriateness for age. And I recommend that list to everybody. Excellent. That Those are all great authors. And, you know, you mentioned Dickens, and that was always, you know, we all had to read Great Expectations. I remember having to go through Bleak House when I was a senior in high school. That was like an 800-page book. Yeah. But, but it was a great book. And, and that's that's the problem. Now we have the cancel culture, which has entered the scene. And so you have all of these activists who say, you got to get rid of the white men. 
Well, when you're doing that, you are omitting some of the greatest writers ever, not because they're white, but because they wrote great books. And then if you have to use some sort of diversity, you know, mechanism for deciding who you're going to read, that's that's not even about literature anymore. That's about identity politics. Yeah. And it makes you an idiot. I mean, imagine being in 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 Rome. uh, You're right in front of St. Peter's. Um, you're in St. Peter's Square, and somebody says to you, hey, you know what? Uh, I have a special ticket. We can go to the Sistine Chapel. There won't be any tourists there. We can take our ease. We can spend an hour there just looking around. And I've got a guide who will come and tell us what the paintings are and what's going on in them. Um, how would you like to come? And you reply, oh, no. I do not want to see the paintings of Michelangelo and the others. They were all white men. <laughs> Ridiculous. Well, you're an idiot to yeah. say a thing like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, it's insane. And, and it's very hard. Again, you're back with the same problem to try to reason with people like this is very difficult. I, I mean, do you think that academia actually is salvageable at this point? Or do you think it needs to be, in most cases, just reestablished from the ground up? And, and I mean, where are we on that scale, do you think? Uh, yeah, uh, most of it needs to be burnt down, yeah. uh, burnt to the ground and the, and the, and the ground sowed with salt. So nobody will be able to use that again. Um, some, there are some small schools that, and they're, they're Catholic, sometimes, um, uh, Christian and not Catholic that are committed to what's called a classical education now, but is really just basically an old, an old-fashioned education in arts and letters. My school, Magdalen College of the Liberal Arts, is one. Um, Those places are bright spots, and we ought to be sending our money to them and not to Georgetown and Fordham and Holy Cross and the other places. They've long abandoned their uh, Christian and Catholic heritage, and frankly, they're lousy places mostly for for arts and letters, quite apart from the faith, right? well, I, those places are almost irrecoverable. Uh, most most schools are irrecoverable. The public school, this whole system, is irremediable. Um, unless you're talking about charter schools, and then there may be some some reform going on there. But otherwise, the whole system is. Uh, the whole system is bankrupt. Yeah, I agree. Well, and you look at the public school system, K through 12, and one of the things that you discuss, obviously, is things like the transgender movement, the whole LGBT activism that's just infiltrated everything. Here we have the transgender movement, which you, I think, rightly say is just the overheating of feminism, which is totally right. But one of the characteristics that is inherent in accepting that there is such a thing as a transgender, which there isn't, is a denial of the physical body and the yeah. actual differences between male and female. How do you see the the mind that will accept that you can turn a man into a woman through body-altering surgeries and hormones and people actually think you're going to come out the other side as the opposite sex? Why are we accepting that when... When pressed, they probably would have to admit, yeah, you really can't do that. It's just cosmetic. No, yeah, you can no more do that than change a dog into a cat. Right. Um, it, why we do that is because we, um, well, it's a, it's a sort of cultural and suicidal despair. Uh, we no longer believe in anything. I mean, if we were really alive to how beautiful 
each sex is in its distinct way. We would no more want to do such a thing to them than we would want to climb up on some scaffolding and slather uh, all kinds of uh, uh, paint on, let's say, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Good point. Um, just, just, just vandalize the Sistine Chapel. We wouldn't want to do that. Well, what we essentially done is to vandalize the body. Um, and it's because we are numb to its beauty and its reality. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's one of the effects of the sexual revolution that nobody foresaw, you know? Yeah, that's very uh, true. Yet, yet another, yet another uh, uh, thing to, to think about in this continuing calamity. Yeah, it's very true. Where do you see it headed? Do you think much about the future and where the insanity leads five, ten years from now? I know it's going at warp speed already, but yeah. w- what happens next, do you think? I don't know. Uh, the, the insanity is so quick, it outstrips, uh, it outstrips prediction and satire. Hmm. Um, you know, it, what yesterday you, you made a joke about and everybody laughed, tomorrow is going to become... Uh, oh, well, Jane yeah, sure, everybody knows that. Um, I, I, I think the chaos continues. Uh, I, uh, am, I have, I hope is not the same thing as optimism, so uh, I'm not optimistic at all about the, about the near future. Um, I, have, I have hope, but hope is the theological virtue, right? And, yes. Uh, I, I, I think we're done for. Um, unless there is unless God gives us the grace for a wholesale spiritual renewal, renewal and revival in, in, in the West, we're done for. Yes. It's, it's over. Yes, yes. And yet, what about the health of the Church? You talk from a Roman Catholic perspective. I'm talking from an evangelical Protestant perspective. It's awfully dire on our side of the fence. Uh, how do you see your side of the fence in that regard? I, I see the sides in, in, the, same, in the same boat, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that's why I write for Touchstone magazine because we get authors from the three great branches of Christianity, Eastern Orthodoxy, and Protestantism, and Catholic Catholicism. Um, we we've got to um, we've got to hold the line on uh, creation itself. We can't say that God just gives us some moral rules, but that creation is neutral or amoral. It doesn't have anything to teach us. God is the creator of this natural order. Um, and uh, when, we, when we say, oh, we can, it's infinitely malleable, we can do anything we want with our bodies, uh, we, that is an affront to God as, as the creator. And very quickly, we'll lose any faith in, in the creator. Yeah. Um, right. as creator. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a reject. we got to go back to Gnosticism, don't we, and figure out how to refute it and how yeah. to point out all of its errors. Yeah, yeah. You know, a great resource in all of this is C.S. Lewis, um, Chesterton, and Tolkien, too, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, everybody, all Christians should read th- read through the entire works of C.S. Lewis once every three or four years. Um, and then we can pick up Chesterton um, Likewise, because they speak, they they say the same kinds of things. So they speak somewhat different dialects, yes. uh, as it were. Um, that they they bring us back to reality, the the sheer goodness of physical reality that God created, um, 
That's why it's such an offense. I mean, St. Paul, it's what's going on in Romans chapter 1, right? Yes. Um, because of sin, I mean, sin doesn't just stop with whatever lie you happen to believe. Now, it, it, it collapses under your feet, and you, you go further and further into vain imagination, empty imaginations. Um, uh, the, and uh, uh, it's not stopping. It's not stopping. Unless, uh, unless God decides, unworthy though we are, to redeem us in the West, pull us out of the fire, uh, you know, he, he'll say, okay, you have what you want. Yeah. You have uh, what you want. Very important. Yeah, read the book, Sex in the Unreal City, The Demolition of the Western Mind. Dr. Anthony Esselin, thank you so much, Dr. Esselin, and we'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. This is from CBN.com. As the Democratic National Convention begins in full virtual swing, fighting for the faith vote is a major priority of the Biden campaign. I think that's hilarious. What is the faith vote? The person spearheading that outreach spoke to CBN News about it. Josh Dixon is the National Faith Engagement Director for the Biden campaign, and he believes there's a Democratic story to tell between now and Election Day, (laughs) and they'll figure it out any minute now so they can actually tell it. He insists this is a story that believers will buy. (laughs) See, this is what you do when this is completely non-organic. We'll figure something out. We'll cobble something together. Faith vote, faith vote. Come on, maybe if you put this headdress on or maybe if you, you know, wave this book around, that will make the evangelicals decide that they're with you. The headdress, not the, not the headdress part, but the book part. Who knows? They're trying to get the faith vote. All right. You see that they hired an evangelical to lead their faith outreach. And I think that speaks a lot, Dixon said. Hmm. Dixon grew up a believer in a conservative Republican household, then became a major change, then came a major change when he switched political parties in his 20s. He said, said, when I deeply examined what my values were and looked at the respective platforms and the respective ways in which the deep values, I would say, that our respective political parties prioritize, that's when I made the switch. What was it, Josh, that persuaded you that the DNC was home base for you and you needed to leave the GOP behind because of your deep, deep, deep values as an evangelical? Was it the support of infanticide in pockets of the DNC and the radical abortion laws that they've passed in places like New York and Illinois? Did that draw you as a believer? Or maybe it was the support for all things LGBT. Was that really persuasive to you as a man of the Bible? I'm not sure. Or maybe it's just Antifa. You really dig Antifa and you like what they're doing in the streets of Portland and you like what's going on with the Black Lives Matter riots in places like Minneapolis. That really appeals to your deep, 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 deep values. I don't know, but he's got a job to do and he's going to do it. And I don't know how he's going to do it. And this kind of, this kind of makes me laugh because 
I look at some of these polls. Pew Research did a poll back in July. White evangelical approval of Trump slips, but eight in 10 say they would vote for him. That's essentially where we were in 2016. You had 81 percent of white evangelicals going for Donald Trump. I haven't heard of any evangelical. This is obviously anecdotal. I haven't heard of any evangelical to this day who voted for Trump in 2016, who says, I'm switching to Biden. You know, it's really the faith commitment of Joe Biden that swayed me. I mean, come on. This is about policy. Fundamentally, this is about policy. And what's been interesting, I'm going to get into this in a little bit more detail as time goes along. But what's interesting is you're starting to see this big divide, even in social media, in the evangelical world. And I have talked about this. One of the things that is going on among these woke evangelical leaders is pushing evangelicals toward the Democrat Party. And it's not an easy sell, even for people who truly are insiders. Why? Because we know infanticide is evil. That's why. That's one reason. Late term abortion is evil. Early term abortion is evil. We protect the sanctity of human life. And we understand the LGBT agenda is about ultimate criminalization of Christianity. That's what the Equality Act would do. And Biden and Harris are fully on board with it. In fact, the human rights campaign, the largest homosexual lobby group on earth, said that this is the most pro-equality ticket in the history of America. So why? Where's the faith? Faith in what? Faith in whom? So you're seeing these evangelicals, uh, if you want to call them that, trying to push evangelical believers into the Democrat Party by pushing this idea of holistic pro-life. That's their big thing. They were big on that a few years back. It didn't work. They're trying it again. I don't know how much they're going to try to shove that down our throats. But the way it goes is, you know, you need to be pro-life in all of life, all of life, not just abortion. And so basically what they're saying is you have to embrace every single leftist cause that we want you to embrace in the name of pro-life. And the one thing we're going to leave out is the actual pro-life cause, which is ending abortion. Because if they really wanted to end abortion, they'd be supporting a Republican candidate because that's the platform. That's the party that is pro-life. The Democrat Party is not pro-life, but they are trying so hard. They're trying so hard. So. This brings me to kind of a funny personal story. You may know the name Michael Ware, or you may not know the name Michael Ware, but Michael Ware was the faith outreach director in 2012 for Obama's reelection campaign. He also now has become involved with something called the AND campaign, and his whole shtick is trying to get evangelicals to vote for Democrats. I mean, that's basically what it is. They, they always kind of smush around and they don't really come out and admit all of this. But I had kind of a funny encounter on social media with Michael Ware. I don't follow him. I know who he is. I don't really follow him. Or, you know, whether or not I follow him on Twitter or read his stuff all the time, I don't. But I had read one story that he had written for Christianity Today. I think it was a couple of years ago. And he referred to Kasich, John Kasich, as one of America's most Christian candidates. Like, really? So I made a tweet uh, because somebody had put out a picture of, I think it was NBC. They ran a misspelled graphic of John Kasich's name and they spelled it wrong. And I said, how dare they garble the good name of the man Christianity Today called one of America's most Christian candidates. Michael Ware is penning an outraged op-ed as we speak. It's just a joke. All of a sudden, Michael Ware shows up in my timeline and sends me a GIF of Kermit the Frog furiously typing on a typewriter. That's cute, right? He's just kind of having fun. So I wrote him back and I said, cute, honestly, I do feel for you a little. 
trying to find a legitimate faith narrative to try to woo evangelicals to a radical Biden-Harris ticket is, as has been said, like trying to find meaning in a Pauly Shore movie. That's a line from Clueless, the movie Clueless. He blocked me. He, he blocked me after I did that. I mean, what did I say? What did I say? I didn't troll him. I didn't go to Michael Ware and try to give him a hard time. I just made kind of a little quip. I like to do little quips now and then. It's nothing mean. It's nothing rotten. It's just a little quip. He didn't like it. So he gave me a little quip and I was trying to have a little fun with him. He didn't like me telling him that he was going to have a really hard time getting Christians to vote for Biden. That's just my opinion. And that's what the polling is showing. So I wanted to let you take a little bit deeper look into Michael Ware and some of what he's had to say, because he's made appearances all across the woke evangelical landscape. He's been on the ERLC front. I think Russell Moore endorsed his book. He's been on the Christianity Today front, and he's certainly been over at the Gospel Coalition. But first and foremost, I want you to listen to this promo for the AND campaign. And this whole thing is about basically calling the urban church to reflect the truth and love of Jesus Christ, because nobody else wants that. It's just a way of saying we're tr- we're going to try to appeal to the African-American community on the basis of morals and having Christian values and convince them that social justice is all the same thing and it's all tied together and, and just, they're moving them toward the Democrat Party. But I, I'm not really sure who they expect to get on board here. Probably who they're aiming at is trying to get well-meaning suburbanites in white churches to join in. And I, who knows? I mean, they're trying to get more votes. That's what it's really all about. But listen to this promo here for the AND campaign. This is cut one. The AND campaign is a coalition of urban, biblical Christians who believe it's time to rethink our tone, posture, and overall strategy when it comes to cultural and civic engagement. The AND campaign is about living out the compassion and the conviction of Jesus Christ. It's about both social justice and biblical values. The truth of the matter is, traditionally, urban Christians haven't fit in comfortably with either side of the political or ideological spectrum. We haven't fit in with the right because historically they have rejected civil rights and they lack compassion. And we haven't fit in with the left either, even though people don't talk about it as much, because many of them have rejected classic values. But at the same time, we know that we have to be engaged in the most pressing issues of our day, whether it be mass incarceration or sanctity of life. We have to be involved and we have to be involved faithfully. Okay, wait a minute. The right has historically been against civil rights. Do you know anything about history? Dinesh D'Souza pointed this out. He said the Civil Rights Act of 1964 passed the House with 153 out of 244 Democrats voting for it and 136 out of 171 Republicans. That means that 63 percent of Democrats and 80 percent of Republicans voted yes. And in the Senate, 46 out of 67 Democrats and 27 out of 33 Republicans supported the measure. I'm sorry, which party was it that actually was more against the Civil Rights Act of 1964? Clue, it was not the GOP. It was the Democrats. We'll come back. Stay with us. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. 
As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. We are talking about how the Democrat Party will possibly woo evangelicals over to their side. I don't know. All the tricks that they tried back in 2016 were for naught, didn't work. Of course, it didn't help that your nominee, Hillary Clinton, was out there calling Christians deplorables. That's not a smart move. And Hillary Clinton did no outreach. And what's hilarious about these politicians and strategists is they think that's all it really takes. You just do an outreach. As if Christians cannot smell a rat. I mean, you know, come on. You are the party of abortion. You're the culture of death party. You're the culture of homosexuality party. You're for the LGBT agenda. You are wanting to erode religious liberty. We know what you guys have done. We've been watching you for the last 10 years, especially. And we see what you guys are up to. And we know you consider Christians the enemy. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it that bluntly because that's what I really believe. They love the name of Christianity to try to secure votes, to try to maybe grab away some of the white suburban women who are very prone to, you know, kind of the idea that uh, Trump is mean and Trump doesn't care about illegal aliens and these poor people in cages. And it doesn't matter whether or not the narrative is actually what it is, what they say it is, because it's not. Obama was the first one to put people in cages. But, you know, that's not reported by the mainstream media. There might be a small group of people you could bring over to the Democrat side for whatever reason, but it's not going to be a big enough chunk to make a difference in Trump's base. The polls are not showing that. So this brings me to Michael Ware, who is the he was the faith outreach director for the Obama 2012 campaign and now is working with this and campaign, which is trying to combine biblical values and social justice and redemptive justice. And, you know, there's all these buzz terms, but the Gospel Coalition has run a number of interviews with him on these short little videos. I thought it would be instructive for you to listen to how these people actually think. This is cut two. 
Well, part of what it means is to understand that we don't look to our political leaders as the source of our hope. We can hope for all kinds of things, but if our hope is not in the right place, those things that we hope for will ultimately lead to disappointment. And so if we can be sad about election outcomes, if you're happy about the election outcome, you could be happy about it. You could have hopes for what can be accomplished over the next 100 days, over the next four years. Um, but we do ourselves and our neighbors a disservice when we act as if progress is going to come through sort of politics marching forward. Actually, Christians believe that the story of history is about God coming towards us, not us moving towards some utopia. Okay, well, if you're against some kind of progressive utopia, then what are you doing with the Democrats? That's their whole shtick, Michael. This was what he said back in 2018. Uh, after he was asked this question, after the bitterly divisive presidential election, how can Christians, some relieved and others in despair, reclaim hope in our time? Yeah, he kind of gets it right. It's not ultimately about politics, but this is a political strategist, you guys. So he's toning it down. If you listen to what he says in other contexts, he's not toning it down that much. He's trying to look like Mr. Neutral. He's not Mr. Neutral. If you read through all of this stuff on the AND campaign website, it's really, in my mind, deceptive. You're using the language of Christianity to try to deceive people. And you're not talking about all the things that ought to be really blatantly pointed out. And that is the evil, immoral agenda of the Democrat Party when it comes to moral issues. Let's talk about that. You may have some differences as Christians in certain policies, fiscal policies and whatnot, but there's no question on the morality of the sanctity of human life or marriage as God designed it or religious liberty as enshrined in our constitution because God has given us a right to religious freedom. There's no movement on that. There's nothing you can do, no cute little videos that Michael Ware or anybody else in the DNC could put together that would sway a, a Christian who's really grounded in the word of God. Now, he was also asked, why is it hard for some Christians to be concerned with religious liberty, abortion, and marriage while simultaneously being concerned with racial reconciliation and systemic racism? This was the answer of Michael Ware, cut three. It's difficult because um, they seem to be the parochial concerns of our two political parties. And they seem to be broken down along those lines. Um, as, as Christians, we don't have the luxury of taking our political views from a political platform, we answer to a higher source. And so Christians have unique resources from which to draw to break through some of the harsh polarization of this time. Now, what that means is that um, we don't need to be politically naive, but we also shouldn't, we also shouldn't be trying to make uh, short-term compromises on what we're advocating for with some long-term political vision. You no, know, we just need to affirm the good where it is and reject the bad where it is in the very moment we're in. That's what faithfulness looks like. Okay, again, this was Obama's guy. This was a faith advisor to Barack Obama. So he definitely has a side, and yet he's trying to act like, well, you know, you just take the good and get rid of the bad. Hey, a lot of evangelical Christians who voted for Trump in 2016 would say, that's exactly what we did, Michael Ware. That's why we voted the way that we did, because there was more agreement on the issue that I care about or the issues that I care about in the candidate I chose than your candidate. So, it, it, you know, it's very vague, though, isn't it? 
It's very smooth. Oh, well, you know, he, uh, let's talk about uh, our neighbor, loving our neighbor. And, and plus, we also know the political bent of the Gospel Coalition. We know how these guys, you know, slant. So we already know some of this. Uh, listen to a little bit more, though, of Michael Ware uh, talking about uh, feeling uncomfortable. This is cut four. And so that will lead us into very uncomfortable positions in the earthly order of things. Some of our uh, political uh, compatriots won't, won't be happy with uh, our willingness to say good things about the other side when they're right uh, and bad things about our own side when they're wrong. That's a profound way that Christians could be salt and light in the political process, and it's, it's something, something we need to do. So, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a problem of polarization. No, it isn't. It's a problem of supporting abortion. It's a problem of being against religious liberty for Christians. It's a problem of embracing the LGBT agenda. That's some real evil we're talking about there. Supreme evil. And, and we remember the DNC booing God. Remember that? That video will live in infamy on YouTube. We remember this. So I don't know how you can just water it down to, eh, you know, on the one hand, uh, loving your neighbor and uh, things are uncomfortable and we don't want to be polarized. Uh, there's no clear clarion call to moral good. It's just a bunch of gibberish. Then he discusses how unfortunate it is that values are pitted against one another. Listen to this, cut five. And then just secondly, I'd say there's this unfortunate pitting uh, of, uh, of one set of values against another, as if by supporting, putting a focus on uh, racial injustice, you're somehow uh, marginalizing injustice facing the unborn or uh, religious freedom concerns. And what I would suggest is that it actually all holds together when you ignore one aspect of the Christian ethic because you think you're supporting the other, you're actually undermining the whole endeavor. And when you lift up the whole Christian ethic, it actually uh, serves to the benefit of, of the whole the whole ethic in, in, in the public space. Oh, right. Okay, right. It all holds together. If you don't want to be a racist, uh, then you need to vote for the Democrat. Otherwise, you're a racist, systemic racism. You have to, can't you be for racial reconciliation and against any sort of police brutality and still want to uphold abortion uh, on demand being eradicated and, and want to get rid of the Obergefell decision and wanting to have some moral sanity in this country and wanting to stand on the solid ground of the U.S. Constitution? You can't reconcile those things. You cannot reconcile a Marxist agenda of these rioters in the streets with a firm commitment to the U.S. Constitution. It's not possible. Those things are irreconcilable. You have to choose one side or the other. And knowing full well that we have very imperfect choices sometimes in particular candidates. We've been over this about 100 million times, so we know this. But again, this is the deceptive language. And listen to this just found out about this particular initiative, a diverse coalition of Christian organizations, including the AND campaign, which is spearheading this thing, and the Church of God in Christ, announced the Prayer and Action Justice Initiative, a nationwide effort to advocate for racial justice and nonpartisan police reforms across America. This involves the National Association of Evangelicals, Prison Fellowship, Center for Public Justice, and the American Bible Society. And listen to this. As part of the initiative, each group and leader has collectively agreed to a biblical justice and race statement. I just want to read one sentence of it. We mourn the loss of Breonna Taylor, 
Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and all others who have lost their lives due to racialized violence. Well, in the case of George Floyd, if you watch that entire video that was released of what happened on the day of his arrest and tragic death, there's no evidence of racialized violence there. Race had, by all appearances, nothing to do with it. There's a lot more to that story. So we're getting some narratives here that we have to think through pretty clearly, even as we do want to have e pluribus unum in this country and the love of Christ spread abroad. Thanks for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time.